You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou... I invite you to join me for a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, Holy Jesus, Blessed Spirit, As we begin our time of reflection upon the word this morning, we begin by confessing that we are anxious for many things. It is hard for us to hear the word of our Savior that sufficient for each day are its own troubles, and that we are to live without anxiety for we know of your love for us. Bless us in our time of reflection upon your word, O Lord, that finally, And filled with your grace by the power of your word, we might grow more and more into the image of your Son who was not anxious for anything, but rather trusted wholly in you. This we ask in his precious name, which is forever Jesus the Christ. Amen. So I want to begin with a story, a true story, happened to a friend of ours. Um, He was traveling, uh, he was actually studying abroad for a year. And uh, he was a great guy, but like most students studying abroad, he didn't have a lot of money. He carried over only as much as he could afford to take with him, which wasn't much. Well, as he was over there, his department was coming up on a, a sort of more formal gathering, and he felt he needed to get some nicer clothing. So uh, he went shopping in the thrift stores, and he, he went into one, and he says to the, the lady behind the counter, he says, excuse me, um, do you guys carry suspenders? I can see, I see Rita laughing, because um, in a way that you probably couldn't laugh and wouldn't have caused so much consternation today, the woman behind the, the counter suddenly looked at me and went, for you? He said, yeah, for me. Do you have any suspenders? And here's what you need to understand, is that in British parlance, suspenders means ladies' underwear. (laughs) It took a while for them to sort that out (laughs) and to discover that the British term for suspenders is braces. (laughs) And finally he was able to say to her, so uh, do you have any braces? Oh yes, we do have some of those. George Bernard Shaw said that the, uh, the Americans and the English are two people separated by a common language. <laughs> and uh, it, that, that can be true also of Christians. Christians hearing a, a well-meaning pastor say something like, you know, the Bible is a, a love letter to you across the ages from God and you shouldn't be afraid to go to your Bible. And those things are both true, meaning you should learn the word of God for yourself. Um, don't realize that sometimes the the words we're reading had a radically different meaning when Jesus spoke those words. So we can carry into our study of Scripture our own cultural presuppositions. And today's reading is a great example 
of that happening. This is the last time we'll be in the Sermon on the Mount uh, until uh, January. But uh, Jesus is continuing his teaching. He's just come off um, teaching about uh, not serving God. Uh, you had to choose between God and money. And then he's going to talk about this being trusting God for all of our daily things. What we eat, what we drink, what we'll wear, how we'll be sheltered, the basics of life. Now here's what you need to remember that he was, the context in which, into which he was speaking and how radical these words were. And the key word for us here is when Jesus says, the Gentiles do all these things. Now to be a Gentile was simply to not be a Jew. But if you weren't a Jew, you weren't worshipping the God who had revealed himself to the Jews. The God whom Jesus called Father and who in the fullness of time the church would realize was that same God in the flesh. If you worshipped another God, your worship was very different than the worship of Israel. My children are buried in classical literature right now. It's just their curriculum this year in school. And so they've been reading all the escapades of the Greek and the Roman gods and all this kind of stuff. And, and here's, what you, here's what you discover as you read those stories. The Greek gods remind me of elementary school children fighting on the playground. like me. I don't like you. I'm going to be, I, I'm, I'm going to get my friends to beat up your friends. Blah, 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 blah. It goes back and forth. And, and by the way, Zeus likes Katie and Katie doesn't like him, so Zeus, oh, it's crazy, okay? What happened when you went to worship in that context was that you were seeking favors from the gods. Not because, like the God of Israel, they were holy, meaning completely different, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly different from you, good beyond all measure, and glorious beyond the need for our praise. As we sing in that wonderful hymn, O God, beyond all praising. That was the God who had revealed himself to Israel. Instead, if you were a Gentile, you went to worship looking for favors from gods or goddesses, not because they were great, not because they were holy, certainly not because they were good, but rather just because they were more powerful than you. They were like the superheroes of the ancient world, full of all their own greed and vices, but with a lot more power than you had, so you were asking for a favor. So if you were a soldier on this Veterans Day weekend, you might go to the temple of Ares or Mars or Mithras because they were the gods of war. And you were headed out to battle this week. And you hoped to come home alive. So you went in, you worshipped, you made a sacrifice hoping that you're, you'd be bribing the god to let you come home alive. If you were a young woman in love, hoping that your preferred man might give you a, 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 the, an offer of marriage or something like that, you would go to the temple of Aphrodite or Venus and maybe ask that the goddess would get her son to use his magic arrow to shoot the lover of your choice. That's Cupid for all of you who see your Valentine's Day cards, okay? That's the, that's the son of Venus, all right? So you were asking for favors. 
Jesus is laying out for us that the worship of God Almighty, the true Lord Adonai of the universe, Elohim, is not like that. Because you don't need to ask that God for favors. That God, whom Jesus will call Father, already knows your needs. In fact, God will do, Jesus will do more than call God Father. See, the people of Israel already knew that God was holy and mighty and powerful and great beyond the need for praising. But what Jesus revealed in the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer or Our, the Our Father is that that God also intimately knew and loved us. That we should call Him Father. And in fact, the word Abba, which comes from the Aramaic street language of Jesus' day, was a term of deep intimacy. It was the kind of term that a little one would melt her father's heart with someday. It was Daddy. That this great and good and powerful God we could call upon trusting that He knew our needs. And that we didn't even need to ask for Him. My children may ask for candy. They may ask for ice cream. They may ask for... What else do you guys ask for that we make? doesn't matter. <laughs> But they never have to ask for good, nutritious food. They never have to ask for the basics that will keep them healthy. They know that their mom and dad love them and will provide that for them without their asking. This is how we worship the God of Israel. We may come and ask for a special favor. We're certainly entitled to do so. But we do so knowing already that He is going to give us what is best for our salvation. He's going to give us everything necessary for the ultimate good to happen to us. That we should retain our faith, be saved, and drawn unto His kingdom. Those of you who attended uh, Vespers two weeks ago will have to bear with a little bit of repetition here. Um, most of you won't know who this man is. His name is K.P. Yohannan. He was, you can probably tell from his, his appearance, born in India, born and raised in India, two miles from the church that was founded by the Apostle Thomas on his eastward journey. He was raised a nominal Christian, like many Christians in America, but had a powerful conversion experience and began to seek God earnestly. He came to the United States, trained and got his doctorate here in America, and then returned back to the Asian continent to do his ministry in his own cultural context. His book... Could you click down one time for that? For some reason my clicker's not working. There you go. His book, A Revolution in World Missions has completely changed the way missionary work is being done overseas. Instead of sending in people trained in America who, when they come in and preach the gospel, bring their own cultural baggage with them and so sometimes actually impede people from hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, Instead of doing that, they're raising up missionaries from within their own societies. So that when an African presents the gospel to an African, they're not hearing it as 
the white man's religion coming from Europe. It's not ours anyway. It came from the Middle East, folks. <laughs> or in his own country, Indians preaching to Indians. It has completely changed the way that the gospel is spread around the world. I heard him interviewed on a podcast by Hank Hanegraaff a couple of weeks ago. Most of you would know Hank Hanegraaff is the Bible Answer Man. He has been doing that ministry for 35 years on the radio. Wonderfully thoughtful guy. The only guy I know who has more scripture memorized than Michael. In the interview, K.P. Yohannan said to Hank Hanegraaff, he said, in, in America you may have heard about the mass conversions happening in Africa and the Middle East and Asia and China. He says, I don't want to minimize that it, it's good stuff, but many of those conversions are not true and deep conversions. Because the people who are coming to Christ are coming to Him under false pretenses. What they've been told by perhaps well-meaning preachers is that what God really wants is for you to get what you want. It's called the prosperity gospel. And so they have come to Christ. They're calling upon the name of Jesus, but they're calling upon Him in the same way they called upon the pagan gods they knew before. They kept, they're still coming to temple to get favors. They're still coming to temple not knowing the God whom Jesus represents, He said, and they are only one unanswered prayer away from falling away from faith in Jesus. We are entitled to come to God and ask for whatever we want, but we only do so knowing that He has already provided for all we need. This is the God whom Jesus reveals to us. And I want you to compare the faith of someone who is ready to fall away at the first unanswered prayer with the faith of a man named Kirchmiri. I'm going to need my glasses for this because I, I want to use his words. Sylvester Kirchmiri was a father, oh, excuse me, was a doctor, medical doctor, who was part of a movement called The Family led by a Roman Catholic priest named Father Kolakovich. Kolakovich had fled Poland when the Soviets took over control of the country. And while he was in exile in Czechoslovakia, he said, they're coming here next and we need to prepare. So he began, the, the, or the movement called The Family was just a series of cells or circles of people who gathered for prayer, to share the sacraments, to do Bible study, and to worship together in people's homes, building deep personal relationships as they were built up in faith. When finally Prague fell in 1968, in totalitarian Czechoslovakia, he emerged, this, this doctor, Kirchmiri, emerged as one of the most important disciples and organizers. Years of Bible study and worship and fellowship and personal spiritual practice under the guidance of Father Kolich prepared the young physician for a long prison term which began in 1951 with his arrest. So while we were busy celebrating happy days and watching James Dean in Dwight Eisenhower's America, this man was in prison suffering for 
his faith. What I'm going to read to you comes from a book uh, entitled Live Not by Lies, which is a line by Sol Alexander Solzhenitsyn as he was departing the Soviet Union. But I want to tell you Kirchmeri's story in his own words. The basis for his resistance was the firm conviction that there could, in his words, not be anything more beautiful than to lay down my life for God. When that thought came to him in the police sedan just minutes after his arrest, he burst into laughter, believe it or not. His captors were not amused because their goal was to break his spirit. But refusing self-pity, he taught himself to receive everything, whatever his interrogators did to him, as an aid to his own salvation. And this saved Kirchmiri's spiritual life. Behind bars, subject to all manner of torture and humiliation, Kirchmiri kept himself sane and hopeful even through cultivating and practicing his faith in a disciplined way and by evangelizing others. In his memoir, which is entitled, This Saved Us, if you want to read it, Kirchmeri recalls that after repeated beatings, torture, and interrogations, he realized that the only way he would make it through the ordeal ahead was to rely entirely on faith, not on reason. He says this, he says, I decided to be like Peter, to close my eyes and throw myself into the sea. In my case, he writes, it truly was to plunge into physical and spiritual uncertainty, an abyss where only faith in God could guarantee safety. Material things which mankind regarded as certainties were fleeting and illusory, while faith, which the world considered to be ephemeral, was the most reliable and the most powerful of foundations. The more I depended on faith, the stronger I became. While in prison, his personal routine included memorizing passages from a New Testament that another prisoner had smuggled into the jail. The scripture he had already learned before the persecution started turned out to be a powerful aid to him behind bars. He writes, Memorizing texts from the New Testament proved to be an excellent preparation for critical times and imprisonment. The most beautiful and important texts which mankind has from God contain a priceless treasure which moth and kay cannot destroy, nor thieves break in and steal. Committing scripture to memory formed a strong basis for his personal life in prison, the doctor found. He writes this, Indeed, as one's spiritual life intensifies, things become clearer and the essence of God is more easily understood. Sometimes, one word or a single sentence from Scripture is enough to fill a person with a special light. An insight or new meaning is revealed and penetrates one's inner being and remains there for weeks or months at a time. As one's spiritual life intensifies, things become clearer and the essence of God is more easily understood. That is what we seek. What Jesus is lifting up for us when he says, seek first the kingdom of heaven and it is, seek first 
God and His righteousness and all these things, all that other stuff of life will get added in. That's what he's aiming for. Know the essence of God as a father who loves you. And as he did for Kuchmuri, even in prison and deprived of every earthly thing, will provide for all that you need. This is why we sang on Reformation Sunday when we sing a mighty fortress. If they should take our house, goods, honor, child or spouse, if life be wrenched away, they cannot win the day. The kingdom's ours forever. This is a faith that cannot fail us. This is a faith which sets anxiety aside, for we know each day will have trouble enough for itself. But rather, if we are clinging to Christ and to Him alone, and to the God He called Father in the power of the Holy Spirit, what we have cannot be taken from us. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Lord, as we hear these words of Jesus, help us to learn their great lesson, which is not obscured by the distance, but is more radical than perhaps the distance of hundreds and hundreds of years would make us believe. To radically put all we have into his hands. To trust that he knows what it is we need and that he will provide for it and for our loved ones. Grant us to know that his love for every person is most exemplified in his Son, who indeed bore the cross for our salvation, and help us to have the courage to walk in his footsteps, for he is not just a sacrifice and our Savior, but he is an example to us. Bless us, Lord to so follow in faith where he has led the way that we may at length, in the fullness of time, trusting in your goodness, fall asleep in you and wake in your likeness. Bless us, Lord, with courage every day of our lives. This we ask in his name. Amen. My vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that Thou art. Be Thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, Thy presence, my life.